0: Let's turn in our Bible to the book of Philippians chapter 1 as we continue in our series through this letter and pick up where we left off at verse 27. I'll give you a little moment to find it. Philippians chapter 1, and we're going to begin reading in a moment verse 27. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. Having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we come into your presence this morning. Humbled by your greatness. Humbled by your holiness. You are the true and the only truly awesome reality that I can think of. And we approach you this morning not by any merit or not by any thing in us that deserves to be able to approach you as a friend as a child as a sharer a participant in the benefits and the blessings and the salvation and the eternal life and the heavenly home that was purchased and secured for us through the death of your only begotten son and our redeemer our Lord Jesus Christ And Father, in His name, we approach Your throne of grace this morning to find help in this our time of need, to pray that You would come and that You would walk among us this morning, that You would work among us this morning in a special way. Father, that we would feel You drawing near to us through Your Holy Spirit, by Your Word, would You enlighten our hearts and our minds that we may rise upon the truth of Your Word to holy affections for You. Lord, that our right thinking about You, by Your Spirit, through Your Word this morning, we would begin to have right affections and feelings and passions building up within us. Lord, to see Your name glorified. To see You magnified and honored and prized and praised and treasured. First with our own hearts and then among those in the world that you've created for your glory. Thank you for this time this morning. Thank you for the work of redemption. That second verse that we sang, oh God. When I think that God, his son not sparing, sent him to die. to Take away our sins. That on that cross He took upon Him the sins of the world. All the rapes, all the violent acts of murder and all lies and all rebellion against You. Whether it be pride in our hearts this morning, He died for that. Thank you for that. Bless our time in your word, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want us to think about these verses this morning under the heading, Striving for the Faith of the Gospel. Striving for the Faith of the Gospel. Because really at the heart of this text this morning, that is the one point among points that we want to make. That as believers in Christ, as disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, a disciple is a follower and a learner. That's what the word means. Are you following Jesus Christ as Lord of your life or is He just a part of your life? Is He just what you would imagine to be a ticket to paradise one day and the freedom from the guilt of your sinfulness? Is that what He is? Or is He the supreme treasure and focus of your heart and mind and life today to the point and the place that you strive for the advancement of the faith among the people of the world that so desperately need to hear it? So that is the heading. We want to be the banner that we want to fly over this message today. Paul has been writing about the joy that he feels, as we've learned from previous sermons, The joy that he feels over the partnership that he has with the church at Philippi. The partnership that we talked about, the Greek word koinonia, that fellowship that they had, this sharing in the benefits of the gospel, that is, the person and the redemptive work of Christ. Jesus Christ came into the world, born of the Virgin Mary, lived a sinless life, perfectly obedient to the Father, At the climax of His obedient life, Jesus said these words. He said, I will lay down my life, and I will take it up again. And He laid His life down. He gave His life. They didn't take His life. He gave it. And why did He give it? Because He gave it for the sin of His people. He gave it so that on the cross of Calvary, the wrath of God against your sin, and your sin, and your sin, and my sin was burned out upon the Son of God. The wrath of God burned upon the Son of God on the cross so that He could pay the penalty of sin, the debt that we owe to God for being rebels in His kingdom. And He arose from the grave and He ascended into the heavens. And and before He ascended, He gave us a commission. He gave us a mission. He said, I want you to go and to all the nations, Among all the peoples of the world. And I want you to proclaim this good news. The gospel. I want you to tell people. That if they don't repent of their sins. And turn from their sins. And place their trust and their confidence in me. They will forever perish. In the lake of fire. But that because of what I have done on the cross. Because of my redemptive work. Because of my. Life being given, my blood being shed on that cross. If they will turn and come to me, I will forgive them. And I will give unto them eternal life. I will give unto them the hope of a resurrected body where there is no more sickness or crying, no more death or sorrow anymore. And I will make a new heaven, and I will make a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness, and that forever. He says, I want you to go and tell people this. And that's the commission that we have this morning. That's the job that God has given to every Christian. And Paul, when he writes this letter, is writing and he reveals the joy, the rejoicing that he has over this partnership that he has with this church. And not only with this local church, but all believers everywhere in participating, sharing in the benefits of that redemptive work and also sharing and in partnership with them in the effort to expand the kingdom of God by proclaiming the gospel to the nations of the world. That Christ would be magnified and honored. Now, the point of our text this morning is simply this. How do you live worthily of the gospel? You see it in verse 27. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. In other words, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. What do you do this morning? <laughs> what do you do when you are giving, given something of infinite value? What do you do in return for that? What can you and I give back to God for eternal life? What can you give back to God for pardoning your sin? And not only pardoning your sin, but actually paying the penalty of your sin through the murder of the Son of God. Well, the answer is, as far as stacking up debt, we can't pay anything for that. It's free. Whosoever will, let him come and partake of the water of life. The benefits purchased at the cross, if you want them today, you can come and get them. The good news of the glory of God in the gospel. And at this point in his letter, he begins to turn the corner from a little autobiography about his situation, his circumstance. I'm in prison. (laughs) People are out there preaching the gospel, and in that I rejoice. They're preaching Christ, some from good motives, some from bad motives. But it doesn't make any difference to me because, Paul says... To me, to live as Christ and to die as gain. My expectation, my hope is that I will be delivered from being ashamed in the fact that the way that I am not ashamed is that Christ is magnified. And the way that I magnify Christ, Paul says, is by the fruitful labor for the benefit of others so that the gospel, the faith of the gospel will progress and that those who have believed will be increased in that faith They will be rooted more deeply in that faith. And as such, they will have an overabounding, irrepressible joy in Christ. That was last week's message. But now he turns the corner and he begins to get practical with the church at Philippi and with you and I this morning. Because he begins by saying, only, only let your conversation. And what that word means only, it's a word that means this is of first importance. What you should be supremely concerned with, Paul says, is not my predicament. It's not the circumstance that I'm in at Rome in prison. It's not the condition really even that you're in. But what you need to be supremely concerned with is your manner of life. Because the gospel is not just a message to be proclaimed, but it is a life to be lived. Because one of the greatest testimonies to the validity of the gospel that we proclaim is the life that we live. The life that we live. I didn't even get an amen on that one. (laughs) The life that you live, my brother, my sister, is the validation of the gospel that you preach from your lips. When you proclaim the truth of the Word of God, that God is mighty to save, His arm is not short, but it's mighty and powerful, outstretched to redeem, to convert from the sinner to the saint, to transform you from the kingdom of darkness and place you into the kingdom of light, to make you a person who has been in rebellion against God, who now loves God with all of your heart and soul, mind, and strength. And then Paul says, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel or live in a manner worthy of the gospel. So let me share with you three marks of what living worthily of the gospel looks like according to our text. I want to say them to you and then we'll look at each one. Number one, in verse 27, the first mark is standing firm in one spirit. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel, Paul says, so that, in order that, I may hear that you stand firm in one spirit. Verse 27, the next phrase, number two, is striving for the faith of the gospel. Striving for the faith of the gospel. With one mind, striving side by side or together for the faith of the gospel. And thirdly, in verses 28 and 29, he says, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries. For it has been given, verse 29, unto you on the behalf of Christ not only to believe but also to suffer for His sake. So I'm going to say that that third mark is to fearlessly suffer in the presence of your enemies, not frightened in anything by our opponents, because we know that we have been called to suffer for the name of Jesus. Now let's go back and look at this just a little bit more Carefully. The word conversation up there in verse 27, only let your conversation, carries the idea of being a citizen because the root word here that is used is really translated not your conversation, but your conduct. And it has in mind at the root word a city. In other words, a citizen of a city would have. Uh, A different way of acting maybe and conducting themselves and talking and and presenting themselves as a person from another city. We know that. (laughs) We talk about the northern states and the southern states and people hear me talk and they know where I'm from and you hear someone from up north and you know where they're from because we have an accent. We have a way of talking that's different than uh, maybe some of our uh, fellow Americans in other states, but not only that, we, we like we have different foods that we eat. We have different, sometimes even styles of dress and and different ways of acting, different ways of looking at life, even at times. Cultures can be different as we go uh, across the country, and so this is what the word has in in mind when he says, "Only let your conduct." be worthy of the gospel. In other words, by implication, it means be a good citizen, one whose conduct brings honor to the political party to whom you belong, because the city of Philippi was a Roman colony. We know that from uh, Acts chapter 16. And as a Roman colony, these folks were like a mini-Rome. They had the same style of dress. They had the same uh, culture in many, many ways that that the Romans did. There And they even talked the same way. And so they were considered to be a mini-Rome, and they had certain privileges that went along with that. But what Paul is getting at when he uses this terminology is that we are actually citizens of a foreign land. And our allegiance as Americans, our allegiance for them as, as, as Philippians was not to be supremely to the governors or president, but our supreme allegiance is to be to Jesus Christ. And that's where he's going with this. Only that your conversation, your conduct, be as it becometh the gospel. What and how you live your life should be fitting and appropriate to the gospel that we proclaim. For example, if you look in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20. Just briefly there it says, For our conversation, same thing, this is 17th century English I'm reading out of. (laughs) So they thought of your conversation in, in terms of your conduct in 17th century. But anyways, for our conduct or our citizenship... "...is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ." So let your conduct be a good citizen of heaven. Represent your native land in the city of Philippi and wherever you are. Represent it well. We are to represent the heavenly city that we are now citizens of. Let me just give you some text. We're going to do a little flipping this morning and look at some of these walking-worthily type of texts. Okay, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation or the calling wherewith you were called. And then he gives some examples in this text of how to do that. Colossians Colossians chapter 1 if you get tired of turning you don't have to we'll read it Colossians chapter 1 and verse 10 that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God then on over to 1 Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians Chapter 2, verse 12, First Thessalonians, chapter 2, verse 12. That you would walk worthy of God, who hath called you into His what? His kingdom. You see, we are citizens of a different kingdom. Our allegiance is ultimately supremely to Jesus Christ our Lord. And we're to walk worthy of that kingdom. We're to conduct our lives in such a way that people look at us and say, there's something different about you. You live a little bit differently than most Americans do. Why? Because I have a supreme allegiance, not first and foremost to America or to the president, Of the United States, but to King Jesus, and I represent a place that I've never been to, but my heart has been changed, and I I represent a place where righteousness is upheld, where godliness is cherished, where Christ is honored supremely, where truth is upheld, and hypocrisy and lies and falsehood are stood against. That's what I represent, King Jesus. And I could go on. Uh, let me let me give you maybe one more. Second Peter. Second Peter. Chapter three. And verse um, eleven. I like this one. He's talking about the future judgment of God when He burns up the world that we now know. And in verse 11, he says, seeing that all these things shall be dissolved. Now, here's the phrase we're looking for. What manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy... There's that word again. Conversation and godliness. In other words, in all holy conduct, citizenship and godliness, looking for and hastening to the coming of the day of God, where the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we... Listen to this. According to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherein, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that you may be found in him in peace, without spot, and blameless. So there you have it. God is going, everything that you see now is going to be destroyed. So don't get too attached. <laughs> The house that you got that you live in, it's not gonna last. Okay. The cities that we build our country has a big a big way of saying, you know, if you tear it down, we'll just build it back, but one day God's gonna tear it down and, and we're not gonna build it back. He's gonna build it back, and when he builds it back, it's gonna be perfect. It's gonna be without sin, it's gonna be without anything that corrupts, and it's gonna be beyond our wildest imagination. So let's go back to our text now and look at this again. So according to our text, we are living worthily of the gospel when we are first and foremost standing firm. Verse 27, only let your conversation be as it becomes the gospel. Whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast or stand firm in one spirit. Now that standing firm there is a word which means to persevere. It means to persist on. It means to, I like this one the best, it means to keep one's standing. Stand firm. It means to keep your standing. The word that he uses is used of a soldier to defend his position and his ground at all costs, Even if it means that he will sacrifice his life to stand and keep that plot of ground that he's fighting for and to keep. And that's the image that Paul wants us to have. To stand for God. To stand for the truth of the gospel. Now, you've heard the little phrase, it's big in our country now. If you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. Well, listen, if you don't stand this morning on the truth of the gospel according to the Word of God, then you will fall from anything else. And if you stand for something, you have to stand against something else. A lot of times Christians uh, nowadays in the name of tolerance are beginning to compromise biblical principles and biblical commandments and biblical... Uh, standards uh, of, of, of living because we want to be more tolerable. But if you stand for one thing, then you have to stand against other things. If you stand for God, then you're standing in opposition of Satan. If you stand for truth, then you are going to be standing in opposition of lies. If you stand for righteousness, then you must stand against sin. And that's what Paul has in mind here. He has in mind that us as believers live in such a way that we stand for God and for Jesus Christ and for the advancement of the gospel to the nations of the world. And we stand against Satan. We stand against sin. We stand against lies and falsehood. And if you'll notice, he clarifies this standing By saying, in one spirit, with one mind. So we're to stand firm in one spirit, with one mind. So what does he have in mind there? He's thinking about our unity. He's thinking about the unity of this local church. He says, listen, if you want to walk worthily of the gospel, if you want to live in a manner that's fitting, that is appropriate to the gospel that you proclaim, then live and stand firm but stand firm together. We're not advancing this thing as Lone Ranger Christians, but we are to stand firm and defend the plot of ground that God has granted unto us together in one spirit. We are to have the same spirit, the same passion, the same heartbeat as we go out into the world and especially as we come together as a church. When you come together as a church, you come together in one spirit and with one spirit. Mind The core is unified in affections, and core is unified in thinking. That's number one. Number two, we are also to strive for the faith of the gospel. You see it there. Striving together. There it is again. And this is why I do not believe that he means for your individual faith, but for the faith of the gospel. In other words, for the 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 belief and the trust and the treasuring of the person and work of Jesus Christ be advanced because he says together so it's not you should strive for your own faith to be nourished up in this in this particular context but you should strive together to stand firm and not only to stand firm on truth and righteousness and and, and, and godliness, but you're to ad, advance this faith among the nations of the world. And the way you do that is by proclaiming faithfully the gospel. And the word strive here is the word where we, it's the Greek word where we get our word athlete. Athleio is the Greek root word, and it's where we get our word athlete. And it's used two other times in Scripture. Now here it's used for this striving, okay? Now let's look at the second place that it's used, Second Timothy chapter 2 second Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5 now here it's it's translated probably if you have a king James like I do it's it's translated strive again but the the literal translation of this verse is as an athlete competes so it's a competition here it's it's I'm going to read it out of, out of this one. And if a man also strive, and there's the word, for masteries or in competition in athletics, he's not crowned except he strive lawfully. So when an athlete competes, he has to compete with the rules. But he's competing in this verse. He's striving in the verse we just read. And now look at back in Philippians chapter 4, and we find this word used again. It's the third place it's used in the New Testament. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 3. He had just told two of the ladies in the church to be of one mind. Verse 2. Be of the same mind. He's he's talking about unity. And then in verse 3 he says, That I entreat you also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel. So it's used for striving, for competing, and for laboring. So you see the the connotations of the word. We are to come together and put forth effort like an athlete. Be disciplined with endurance and perseverance for the faith of the gospel among the nations of the world. Is that the way you live? If you want to walk worthily of the gospel, Paul says you need to stand firm in one spirit with one mind. You need to strive. You need to persevere with endurance and discipline so that the faith of the gospel, that belief and trust, trust and treasuring of Christ would not only be in your lives, but would spread to the other nations of the world. There's a zeal here that God be glorified and Christ be magnified as we live in this way and advance the gospel in this way. And the third way, for the sake of keeping the alliteration the same, we're going to use an S word, and that is stability. We've talked about the standing, we've talked about the striving. Now we're talking about the stability the stability to suffer. Verse 28. And not frightened by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation, and that of God. For unto you it is given to the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on Him, but also to suffer for His sake. These Christians, and you and I this morning, are called to have the stability of emotion, the stability of character, stability in trusting in God, Because we know that we are not only called to believe, but we're also called to suffer for Jesus' sake. Notice how Paul mentions the believing and then he mentions the suffering. He presents the Christians with this picture that they have been given. Did you notice that? Verse 29, for unto you it is what? The word is granted. In other words, it's a gift. You've been granted the privilege of trusting in Jesus Christ, of knowing God, the Creator of the universe, and Jesus Christ, the Redeemer of all who believe. You've been granted that faith in Christ through hearing of the Gospel. And not only have you been granted that, but you've been also granted the privilege, the honor of suffering for Jesus' sake. Do we look at it as, as such. I had uh, a lot more verses I wanted to share at this point. But for the sake of time, let me, let me just take you to one, one verse. Romans chapter 8. The way that you walk worthy of the gospel is to stand firm together. The way that you walk worthy of the gospel is to strive for the advancement of the faith of the gospel among the nations. And a way that you walk worthy is to instability of emotion, instability of character and and confidence in God to suffer for Jesus' sake. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 18. There is a West Virginia word in this verse. Anywhere you go, I want you to see it. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Whatever you suffer will not be worthy to compare with the glory of seeing Jesus Christ face to face. Whatever you suffer will not be worthy to be even compared to the glory of being glorified together with God. On December the 4th, 1857, David Livingstone, a great pioneer missionary to Africa, made an appeal to the students of Cambridge University. Showing that he had learned through experience, through the years, he had learned exactly what Paul is talking about. What Jesus is talking about. What Peter talks about. What James talks about. I could give you dozens of texts on this subject. Listen to what he says. David Livingston. For my own part... I have never ceased to rejoice that God has appointed me to such an office. People talk about the sacrifice I have made in spending much of my life in Africa. Is that a sacrifice which brings its own blessed reward in healthful activity? The consciousness of doing good, peace of mind, and a bright hope of a glorious destiny hereafter? Away with the word in such a view. And with such a thought. It is emphatically no sacrifice. Say rather it is a privilege. Anxiety. Sickness. Suffering. Danger now and then. With the foregoing of a common conveniences. And charities of life. This life. May make us pause. Cause the spirit to waver. And the soul to sink. But let this only be for a moment. All these are nothing. When compared with the glory. Which shall hereafter be revealed. In and for us. Now listen to this. This blows me away. This last sentence. I never made. A sacrifice. (laughs) I never made a sacrifice. He said. You talk about me sacrificing my life to go to Africa to learn a culture. To suffer sickness, to suffer uh, persecution, to be without the, the, the charities of this life. David says, I never made a sacrifice. May it be this morning that we as God's people would realize That the maximum joy in life is living for the fame of the name of Jesus. That's where the joy is. (laughs) That's where it's at. And if you see that, if you see Jesus as the most valuable reality in your life, And you can say with David Livingstone, I never made a sacrifice. Let's pray. Father, as we bow our heads in your presence this morning, Lord, we just humbly ask you to grant us the grace and the mercy to live worthy of the gospel. I know, God, that we are going to do it in an imperfect way. Father, we're going we're to mess up, but Lord, give us that passion. Lord, give us that, that yearning inside of our bones. Lord, that we would live for the fame of the name of Jesus. God, that we would experience You if we could only lay down some of the temporal. God, we may get to experience a taste of the eternal. Would You open blinded eyes in this room this morning? That those who have been seeking to live life, pursuing pleasures and positions of prominence and power, pursuing positions of prestige, oh God, or just looking for some other thing or some other person or some other circumstance in life that will give them joy and give them contentment, would you help them this morning to see that true life and joy is in Jesus Christ. Would you help them to see the beauty of him dying on the cross for their sins in their place so that they could be forgiven and accepted by you, the true and the living God. Help them to have the faith and the strength to turn from sin, to repent, and to trust in Jesus today. And and for those, my brothers and sisters, that are here, would you grant us the grace to live for your glory, to live for your fame. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.